This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Free to Focus, a total productivity system to achieve more by doing less. The latest book from Michael Hyatt. Pre-order now for exclusive bonuses at freetofocusbook.com. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. This episode is going to be a little bit different as we dip into the mailbag and answer your questions. You know, we get questions all the time at live events and through social media. And I love that because it helps us keep in touch with your needs and make our products more practical for our users. Yeah, I think sometimes we think we know what the questions are. Right. But unless we really have that frontline input and get questions from listeners or read questions from email, you know, it's as fast as our culture is moving, we could get out of touch very quickly. That's right. So it keeps us really, you know, with our finger on the, the heartbeat of where people are. And in fact, we value your input so much that we are kicking off a listener survey today where you can provide your feedback. So if you'll take a couple minutes, it doesn't take long uh, to take the survey, you can do that at leadto.win slash survey. And by the way, what's in it for them? I think what's in it for them is that they can influence the direction of the show, right? right? We really carefully look over your input and that guides the direction of the podcast content. And we want the content to be as relevant and helpful as we can get it. So help us help you. That's right. So Larry has gone through a number of your questions and selected a few for us. So let's get right to it, Larry. Well, one of the things that constantly amazes me about the listenership to this podcast is looking at the metrics and seeing where in the world people are. I know. We really have listeners all over the world. Mm -hmm. And this first question comes from a gentleman from the United Kingdom. So let's take a listen to Rob Petrie. Hi, Michael. Hi, Megan. I'm Rob Petrie, the head teacher or principal, as you'd call it, of Cockermouth School here in Cumbria in England. Our school has approximately 1,400 students aged from 11 to 18 years old, and we're situated on the edge of the Lake District National Park, a beautiful place and part of the country to live and work. In my four years as head, we've made huge progress as a school, and we've moved forwards in every area. But there's been a downside to this. I've been driving it, and it's required me to really lead from the front. This means that my leadership team has become dependent on me and are checking with me about decisions that I really think they should just be making. So my question for you is this. What advice do you have on moving from a strong single leader model to a more empowered team who are comfortable with making high-level decisions? We love the podcast. I look forward to hearing your thoughts, and thank you very much. I think you have to get clear on what kind of team you want and what kind of role you want to play as a leader. Because generally, in my experience, teams are like that because the leader assumes that people are unwilling or unable to step up. And I think in in most cases, that's a bad assumption. And so I think you've got to decide that uh, you're going to elevate other people, you're going to give them challenging assignments, you're going to hold them accountable, and you're not going to rescue them or step in and fill you the, the vacuum if they don't step up. Because sometimes people, especially if you've trained them that you're always going to do everything, they're going to kind of wait for a moment, hesitate, and see if you step back into it. And I think you got to get really comfortable with letting that vacuum exist for a little bit and then encouraging them to step up and, and take the responsibility. 
A practical way to do this uh, is when you're setting your annual goals, make certain department heads or other leaders on your leadership team responsible for specific goals. So at the end of the day, they're responsible to deliver that goal. And I think that's going to drive empowerment and decision making because it's very clear that everybody's not an owner. There's one person who's an owner. And I think uh, being clear about your own vision about what your role is. That's right. For example, you could say to people, look, you've got the ball on this particular initiative. I'm expecting you to deliver it across the goal line. I'm here as a resource. So I'm not going to be driving the activity, but I'm here as a resource. So if you get stuck, I'm here to coach you. I'm here to resource you, but I'm not going to one that's the one that's going to carry the ball over the goal line. Our next question comes to us through Instagram. And by the way, if you are not following uh, Michael on Instagram, it's at Michael Hyatt. And we frequently take questions and Michael responds to comments often. So uh, be sure to follow Michael on Instagram. And Sebastian Feiler asks this, what are your recommendations for how to combine the full focus planner and the getting things done system? Okay, so I'm a huge fan of David Allen. I've loved the getting things done methodology. I've promoted that book. I've used various applications that incorporate that methodology. There's nothing wrong with it as far as it goes, but it's missing one key component in my humble estimation. And this is something I talk about in my new book, Free to Focus at some length, but it's missing a filter. And here's the problem. Anytime an idea pops into your head, you think of a task that needs to be done. According to GTD methodology, it needs to go on a list. The problem is, for most people who are operating without a filter, in other words, some way of challenging whether or not that needs to go on a list or you ought to be doing it, your lists become unmanageable. So it's not not, uh, that unusual for me to meet with clients of ours who have literally hundreds of items on their to-do list, and they're simply overwhelmed, and they're stuck, and they're not making the progress they need to make. So what we talk about in the Full Focus Planner and really the Free to Focus uh, book, we talk about focusing on those things that are in your desire zone, the things that you love and the things that you're really good at or proficient. And then distilling that down in the Full Focus Planner daily page to what are my three most important tasks to do today? So oftentimes people will put 20 things on their list for today. They are overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude of it. They go to bed when they've only completed half of it, feeling frustrated and defeated, And they basically have set themselves up uh, to lose at a game that can't be won. And so we say, isolate that to three top activities. If you get these three done, these are going to move the needle in your business. They're going to be significant. So yeah, that's the main thing between us and getting things done is we have a filter and we have a focus for every day. Our next question is from Timmy Bauer. And Timmy is an author and illustrator of children's books. And he asks this, there are 10 goal slots in the full focus planner. I only have four goals. Do I have too few goals? Yeah, I think you do. You know, um, we recommend seven to 10 goals for each year. And the reason for that is because we want you to look at the major domains of your life and ask the question, you know, are you making the kind of progress in that area? Are you where you want to be in that area? Or is there room for improvement? Um, And with only four goals, that's a pretty limited um, area of focus for an entire year. We do recommend that you, of your seven to 10 goals, you're only focusing on two to three per quarter so you don't get overwhelmed. 
So you're kind of directionally right with your four on a quarterly basis, but that's really not enough to be exciting and uh, incorporate the larger vision that you have for your life on an annual basis. So one of the things you can do too is take our life score assessment. It's right. free and we'll drop a link into the show notes. But uh, the life score assessment will help you uh, self-assess in the major domains of your life so that you can kind of get a sense of, of where you've got room to grow and where you've got room to develop goals. Mm-hmm. Our next question is from Victoria, and let's listen to Victoria's question now. Hi, my name is Victoria, and my question is, how would you coach someone to find a career they are passionate about and will pay the bills while providing for their family in a job which drains the life out of them? Thanks. I think there's an ideal that sometimes people have that, you know, just start doing what you love and the money will come. And I don't think that's how it typically works out in regular life. I think what probably every young person coming out of college needs first and foremost is to learn to work. And sometimes that means doing things that you don't enjoy. You know, I think there's real value in that in terms of shaping your character and your ability to persevere and and all of that. I certainly had my share of those jobs. I didn't just, you know, like come out of college and go right into a job that was amazing, that I loved, and I was making a huge impact. And I think that we've created perhaps a generation uh, of people that have that expectation. Mm -hmm. So I think that sometimes, especially at the beginning, you've got to be willing to do the hard things and then transition into those things you love. And, And frankly, I didn't know what I loved at first, right? So that took you know, a decade or two to figure out where my sweet spot was, where I could begin to focus in it and begin to make a living in it. So I think changing your your expectation and realizing it's not binary, it's not all or nothing. That's right. That if you can find aspects of your job, even if you hate the overall job, but there's aspects of it that you really like and can become more proficient at, that's great. You know, grab onto those things and develop and, and over time, you know, hopefully that'll work into a full-time job. Another thing that I was thinking when you were talking is we talk about this concept of the desire zone, and that is the area where you're passionate and proficient. And proficient doesn't just mean you think you're good at it. It means that the market will financially reward you for the contribution that you're making for that proficiency. Um, And so I think when when you're thinking about how do you move into a career that you love, the, the other part of that question is, and that you're proficient at. Because if you just love it, but there's not a market for it, or maybe you're not as good as you think you are, there's a lot of competition and your skills aren't that unique, that's probably not going to result in a likely transition for you. So that can provide some clarity on what you're looking for in a particular career. But then to your point about expectations, this happens incrementally over time. Mm -hmm. You know, I think if you're in your 50s or 60s or beyond, that would be reasonable to think that you're, you know, near 100% in your desire zone at that point after having been through 40 years you know, potentially of a career. That's not realistic for someone who is in the first 10 years of their career or even the first 20 years of their career. I think you're still learning and growing and maturing and kind of refining that process. So to have, I don't think we do that well in our culture. We want things right now. And like you said, there's that expectation that we all kind of have a right to do what we love or that if we identify what we love, that that should you know, immediately translate into a, a full-time career. Um, but sometimes it's about taking incremental steps and being satisfied with that over time because it does add up over the decades. Well, our next question comes again through Instagram. And before I pose this question, I just want to say to both of you guys, 
we got to keep the show on track. We have a limited amount of time. So let's not get carried away with what are you going to ask us? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Bill Anderson wants to know what bag do you carry to work? Oh my goodness. First of all, that was a a wise setup on your part because this could really go off the rails. Um, do you want to go first or do you want me to go? Yeah, I got to walk across the room and, and actually get the bag because okay. I don't know what it's called. All right. So the bag that I discovered about um, six or eight months ago is called the Allen Tote, and it's from Dagny Dover, which is a, a handbag, like work bag company. And it's a leather tote. I have a couple of them. I have a light gray one and a kind of an oxblood red one. It is so beautiful. It has a place um, for that's insulated for my computer. It has a place for my planner. It has a place for my phone that's on the outside of the bag, which, you know, we've done a whole episode about our bags and I, I talked about it then too. But um, I love this bag. It feels like it's pretty enough that it, you know, it can kind of do dual purpose as a purse, but it's really functional on the inside. So Dagny Dover and it's called the Allen Tote. Allen with a Y. I'm so impressed you know that level of detail. Well, I'm, I'm a detail kind of girl. I'm going to be less impressive. So I actually have two bags. Just and just the two bags, Michael? Well, you really have about 30, but you used two. <laughs> <laughs> I used two currently. So the uh, this the more extensive one, when I go on longer trips, is my e-bags Slim Junior. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we talked about this on a previous episode too. But that's basically got a compartment and a zipper for everything. Zippers for days. You're not kidding. It really does. You know, and it's got, my favorite part is the cord garage where I can keep all my cords organized and in one place. But the one that I carry back and forth to the office, and I, and I live two and a half blocks from the office so I can walk back and forth, is a bag that my pal Jeff Goins gave me about three years ago, just as a uh, I complimented him on his bag, and the next thing I knew, one showed up at my doorstep. And this one's made by Wilson's Leather. And the thing I like about this, it's super low profile. It's got just enough room for my iPad, my Faux Focus planner, and a couple of cords and my reading glasses, and that's it. And it's a, uh, they call this a courier bag? Like a messenger bag? Yeah, that's concept. it. Messenger yeah. bag's the word I'm looking for. It's brown, dark brown, kind of a chocolate brown. It's a little bit beat up. And I I just like the way it looks and I like the way that it, how slim it is. Yeah. And now I have a serious case of bag envy. <laughs> you do? <laughs> that's a beautiful bag. And uh, we did do a recent episode on really travel tips, but we got mm. heavily into the bags. I mean, it's not on that episode, so we'll have a link in the show notes to that uh, episode with much more detail on some other bags. Hey, everyone, Mike Boyer here. I hope you're enjoying this Q and A with Michael and Megan. Many of these questions we receive through our social media channels. So if you're not already following Michael on Facebook and Instagram, do that today. We'd love to hear from you, too. Also, don't forget about the Lead to Win listener survey. You can complete that right now at lead2.win slash survey. It takes just a few minutes, and it'll help us make this show more relevant to you. Now, back to the show. This question is from Justin Matthews, and Justin wants to know, when you get in one of those days where you are just blown off course, what do you do to get refocused? Such a good question. First of all, it happens to us too. It happens to everybody. And That happened to me yesterday. uh, Justin is our friend, by the way, so shout out to you. Um, 
But what I like to do in this situation is I approach it maybe a little counterintuitively. I like to get a good night's sleep. And the reason for that is if I've had a day like that, I'm probably discouraged. And if I'm discouraged and tired, it starts to produce what my husband affectionately calls the doom loop. And I'm just not very resourceful (laughs) when I'm in the doom loop and I feel like I'm not being successful. And so um, this is just a lesson that I've learned over the years. Just go to bed. Go to bed at 9 o'clock. Go to bed at 8.30. Start again tomorrow after a full night's sleep, and that helps. Um, but then when I wake up in the morning, I would review my weekly big three that I've put in my full focus planner. So that would reorient me with the things I intended to focus on and accomplish at the beginning of the week. And I would fill out my day page in the full focus planner. So I would identify my big three for the day. I would put my schedule uh, on that day page so I kind of know what's happening. And that's a great reason. Reset because if you can just get a little win and get some clarity, you can get back on track usually. I love that you started with sleep because I mentioned I had a really a, a similar day yesterday. I was just unfocused. I got to the end of the day and I, I kind of started beating myself up. And and Gail said to me, she said, "Honey, give yourself some, some grace mm-hmm. and go to bed." And and same advice. And unfortunately, I passed the DNA on to you. That's right. And you struggle with the same thing. But yeah, I'm so much more resourceful in the morning. And I think just the expectation that you're going to have days like that. Being right. a productive person does not mean that you don't have bad days. But I got to share with this this concept I got from Jeff Walker. So Jeff sends out this video every week, right? And he's our pal. And Jeff said, I don't have bad days anymore. And I was kind of intrigued by that. And so I listened to it. And he said, you know, he said, what I realized is that it's very rare that I have an entire day that's bad. That's what right. I, what I typically have is a few bad hours in a day. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that just totally reframed it for me. Yeah. You can really globalize quickly. Oh, you can. It's the worst day. It's the worst week. It's probably going to be the worst year. It's just a real snowball. Well, like yesterday, I basically had a bad 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it just so happened that it was at the end of the day. Mm. And it made me view the entire day through that lens that it really wasn't a bad day. It was a bad 45 minutes. But that just kind of helps me keep things in perspective. It's really good. Well, we serve high achievers at Michael Hyatt and Company, and we attract high achievers. That's right. And this next question is from a high achiever or a would-be high achiever named Philip Beaver. And his question is this, any advice for getting started in real estate while chasing a 4.0 in college? Well, I'm not sure that we're experts on real estate in any meaningful way, so we probably couldn't give you specific advice on that. But you know, I, I think it all comes down to using your hours that are outside of school intelligently and investing those in the things that matter to you. And if that happens to be building your real estate career on the side, then um, having some goals around that and setting some priorities for the week and, um, you know, for some of your days during the week might be a good way to approach that. Yeah. The other thing I would, would say, and I don't know your situation financially or, or what your options are, but I also remember the ancient Chinese proverb that says, man who chases two rabbits catches neither. And, you know, your college career is a moment in time. It'll quickly be behind you. And I, I personally wouldn't let something else interfere with that. Mm-hmm. Unless you, know? you need to, unless that's, and, and that's what I said. You, know, you know, financially essential. Yeah. So if it's financially sens- essential, that's fine. But if at all possible, I would focus on one thing and mm-hmm. give myself to that and squeeze all the juice out of that lemon and then go into the real estate thing and then really pound it 
knowing that you gave it your best at college? I will say it can be a dangerous thing to start off early in your life and your career thinking that if you don't always run all the time that you're running behind. Right. You know, you can develop a habit of kind of drivenness that's unhealthy, um, that you can spend a lot of time undoing the damage of Guilty. over time. Right. We've all been there. Our next question is from a woman who has an interesting career, and that impacts her time and her life, and that's the focus of her question. So let's hear it. Hi, Michael and Megan. My name is Sarah. I'm a student midwife in Canada, and I am on call most of the time. Occasionally, I do shift work as well, and so my schedule is very inconsistent and unpredictable at times. And I was wondering if you had any advice for me and others who have schedules like mine on how to use routines effectively and even how to use the full focus planner. Thanks so much. So even in an unpredictable schedule, my guess is that there's patterns of recurring days. You know, maybe some days are completely chaos and they can't be predicted, but maybe other days there's there's some pattern around it. And you may have to have multiple sets of rituals. In other words, uh, I know I know for me, I have an abbreviated morning ritual that I use when I'm traveling. So I don't put the, myself under the pressure of having to do my full morning ritual, particularly in a context where it's just impossible. You know, I'm setting myself up uh, for defeat if I do that. So there may be a couple of rituals, sort of the, the minimum effective dose that you're going to use on those days when you've really got to be on call and when you go from one emergency to another. And that's fine. And I think also just giving yourself grace. You know, so for example, let's just say that four out of your seven days were unpredictable, but three of them were predictable and things were more settled down. Great. Then let your structure be around those three days and don't beat yourself up. That's just your career. That's your calling. It's almost like then your structured days become your recovery days from the unstructured ones. And so that might be an interesting way to think about it. You know, how can you use the rituals on those days that are more structured to really refuel so that when you have another chaotic day that you're prepared for it emotionally, physically, all the things. It's a little bit like the counsel we give to people who think they don't have much discretionary time in their job. They're not in control of, of what they're doing. And the thing that, that we typically say is you probably have more discretionary time than you think. Mm -hmm. So stop worrying about what you don't have control over and focus on what you do have control over and be intentional about that. Next question from Kim, who is a voice teacher. And Kim would like to ask, what are your tips for successfully working with family? Do you guys know anything about that? We do. Okay. Especially when your work talk bleeds into family gatherings. Yeah, we've been there. We've been there. <laughs> Megan, why don't you take the lead on this? Well, there's a lot I could say about this, um, but I think the first thing, and this probably governs all aspects of it, is to have excellent and explicit communication about how things are going to work from the beginning. And if you didn't do it at the beginning, do it now. Um, because usually when you get into trouble, it's because there are expectations that are misaligned that you thought 
you were aligned on because they were just kind of, you know, implied or whatever. And then you find out too late that you were really not on the same page. Um, and one of the fastest ways to make everybody else in your family who's not involved in your family business mad at you um, and not supportive of your business is to talk about it in your offstage time on weekends or at nights when you're all together, you know, at a family dinner or a birthday party or something. Um, so we really have made it a rule. And actually, this has gotten even harder for us recently because we hired uh, my youngest sister, Marissa, as our social media manager manager and she's excellent at it. But that just means that there are three out of seven of us who are involved in the business on a daily basis um, that we have made a deal that we just don't talk about work when we're all together with the family. And that's hard because we love our work and we're interested in our work. We're curious about our work. So it's natural to talk about it. That's right. But why don't you just talk about the rules that we've we've Yeah. So I mean, the rules are that when we're together, we don't talk about work, that it's about our family, that we're interested in the other members of our family who are not participating in the business. um, And that we have more to relate on as a family than our shared business interests. Um, And we kind of have to work at that because probably the most present thing that the three of us who are involved with the business are thinking about is our work. So um, I, I think it starts with that commitment and it starts with expectations. And when we hired Marissa, I actually came up with a whole document about my expectations for how we would relate to her in a professional way, um, because those are different than the ways that we would ha- we have related to one another as family members. And that enabled um, everybody to be clear. It enabled her direct supervisor to feel confident that she could perform as an employee and not just uh, someone who was related to the two of us. And it's gone really well. Well, and one example of where we've had to be clear is it would be natural for her because she relates to me so much because of the social media thing. Like if she had a grievance or a complaint or an observation, she could just circumvent the entire hierarchy, right? come straight to me. And we realized that would be a problem on the front end. So we said, don't do that. Right. You know, if you've got an issue, you go to your, don't even go to Megan, you go to your supervisor. Right. Because she doesn't report to me. She reports to our director. Yeah. And so we made it very clear how the, the sort of the protocol for how you address that. And it absolutely hasn't been, been a problem, but I, because I think we hit it out off at the past. That's right. Well, great advice there guys. And I think we have time for one last question. So we're going to jump to Darren Wishman who wants to know this. What's your favorite ice cream? <gasps> Such a good question. Well, first of all, that's a hard one to answer because there are so many options. We really love ice cream. I love ice cream. I don't eat it as much anymore, but I'm actually second guessing that decision as we're talking (laughs) about it. I'm going to have to go with pistachio. Really? Yeah. I did not know that about you. uh, I thought you were going to say rum raisin or what is it? What's the Baskin Robbins one? Jamocha almond fudge? Jamocha almond fudge. Yeah. Those would be my three top favorites. Okay. For sure. But anything chocolate, Yes. You know, captures my attention. Right. But, but I, then you pick pistachio, which is not chocolate. I know. Well, it's green. <laughs> Who knew that was value? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so mine would be mint chocolate chip. And I really like, um, on the <laughs> on the green topic, Baskin Robbins has my favorite one. And then my second favorite would be Briars after that. But I will say, we have Jenny's ice cream here in Nashville. And Jenny's has, you really couldn't even narrow down the flavors because there's so many weird different kinds that they have. And they are fantastic. Have you tried the horseradish one? What? I'm just making that up. Okay. That sounds gross. (laughs) 
Well, there's some good uh, good tips on ice cream and a lot of other good tips on leadership and growing yourself as a leader and your business. Uh, guys, as we come in for landing, any final thoughts for our listeners and these questioners today? Hey, keep the questions coming. You know, it keeps us sharp. And, you know, I want to be better at asking questions. And I think just staying curious as an individual is the secret to growth. Well, thanks to all our listeners who submitted questions today. And as a reminder, we do want your feedback. So we invite you to take the listener survey at lead2.win slash survey. Thank you, Michael and Megan, for your candid answers today. You bet. Thank you, Larry. And thank you guys for joining us today on Lead to Win. And be sure to join us next time when we'll share a live coaching call with one of our listeners based on our business health assessment tool. Until then, Lead to Win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Free to Focus, a total productivity system to achieve more by doing less. The latest book from Michael Hyatt. Pre-order now for exclusive bonuses at freetofocusbook.com.